Welcome to episode eight of the Intel podcast. Today we're going to get into copying when you're learning something and whether or not we think that's okay, and where the media we consume falls on the spectrum of news, entertainment, and education. But first, let's get into some follow-up. Hey, John. <laughs> hey, Jess. Did you have anything you wanted to follow up on from last week or any anything you wanted to fill us in on? The only thing is coming back from the holiday season and getting right. into the groove of kind of a normal schedule again, which is pretty nice. Yeah, it's a little bit hectic. Yeah, Happy New Year and all that, you know. Yeah, the holidays were hectic at the bakery, but also kind of awesome to see to see everyone coming into Miami and just get a feel for what a bakery is like during the holidays and to be in the sunshine which was nice for me yeah you got those warm winters that's something that you probably never really experienced before huh yeah this is the best time of the year so when it comes summer I'm gonna be going I want to be in Ireland with you guys that's true yeah no summer in Miami would be no fun at all I am glad I'm not there I did want to follow up a little bit. A few episodes ago, I think it was in episode six, we talked a little bit about procrastination and some of my views on the causes of procrastination. And I've been thinking about that a lot. And something that we didn't really mention that I think would be useful to actually talk about is some of the kind of solutions that people have found. And this was kind of triggered in my mind today because I was looking at my girlfriend trying to get some work done and she kept getting distracted. So she started to use this weird tree app. <laughs> I don't know what it's called. I should have looked at what it's called. But essentially the way it works is she sets a timer and says, I'm only going to work for the next 30 minutes or 45 minutes or however long she sets. And this little tree grows during that period of time on her screen. But if she closes her app or goes to any other thing on her phone, it kills the little tree that's growing. It only grows and does this when she sets it to work and it blocks her out from doing anything else. And if she does anything else, the tree that she's been growing or the little forest she's been growing for weeks, it will die. And so it's a little bit of a kind of harsh thing, I guess, but it just points out these little emotional tricks that we can play on ourselves in order to get ourselves to do the things we want to get ourselves to do. No, that's great. I need to try it. It's called forestapp.cc. Okay, there it is. Yeah. It's nice because I like to see when people don't have kind of a helpless perspective on things. When they see I can change, there are things that I can do to fix this problem. That kind of proactive response. And I was thinking about things that I've used to avoid procrastinating. And granted, I'm not good about actually doing much to stop myself from procrastinating, but it's not a huge issue in my life for the most part. But the one thing that I have used... Well, you do track your time, so that's a big part of it. That's true. Tracking your time keeps you very mindful, so yeah. it's probably less of an issue for me than it would be otherwise. But the thing that I used even before I started tracking my time was this app called Rescue Time, which I'm sure most people have heard of by this point. Mm -hmm. And Rescue Time is also kind of a time tracker, but I found it useful and I know a lot of people who find it even more useful because you can basically tell it, don't let my browser access certain websites during certain hours or only let me view these websites for a certain amount of time during the day or a week or something. Or even I think I never used this part of it, but I think it can actually prevent you from opening other applications on your computer. And so, wow, I did not know that. I've clearly never used it to its full capacity. <laughs> I, I'm not certain about that, but I think it can. If you give it the authority to, you can not give it the authority to, obviously. And so if you are finding that you're just on 
I don't know, Candy Crush all day, or you can't get yourself off of League of Legends. <laughs> Set time limits, and then it'll block it. And that's a good way to nudge yourself. Because if you get to the point where it's blocked it, that immediately sends you a signal, oh, well, I really shouldn't be doing whatever I'm doing. Obviously, you can change the settings or delete rescue time and then go back to doing whatever you're doing. But it gives you that nice nudge to push you toward the things that you want to be doing. And it's just great when you find something that works to pull you out of one of these nagging problems, you know? Yeah. I've never used it for that, but I've used, I don't remember what the app is either. I should also have written this down, but there's something you can use so that you can only get into your groups on Facebook so that if you're using it for something like blogging or podcasting or whatever, you can actually use the groups, but your notifications don't show up. Instead, a productivity quote shows up, which I look at it and go, (laughs) yeah, I shouldn't be slacking. Nice. Yeah, yeah, see, that's, that is that is useful. Yeah, and even my girlfriend was telling me about her tree app thing that as she kept looking at the app to see how much time there was left, it would like put up a message that said, stop looking at me, go back to your work. So, you know, it, it's, it's a little assertive, but it's, it's Don't good. Don't kill me. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The picture says stop fubbing. <laughs> good. Yeah. Of the tree app, yes. Yeah, yeah, so it's good stuff. I like to see people making progress. I did want to ask you, I know I didn't give you any prep for this, Jess, but I did want to ask you, any progress on your year in review or plans for oh. this year? Any update? Yeah, so I haven't had a system that I really have stuck to every year because every year's just been a little bit different. So this year I was like, okay, let's sure. get some kind of system together. I went back to, I always butcher his last name, but Chris Gulibre or something like that. All I right. put it in the show notes because I'm really not doing well with it. I have no idea who it is. But it's this blogger who always does a year in review and he's been doing it for seven years or something. And I was like, okay, let All me right. just look at it. Let me just research a couple different methods. And I have my own that I've thought through. And I just put it all into kind of an Excel list, the same way I usually do with putting my goals. What are the big ones? What are the growth-based actions I can be doing? Mm. And I broke it down into quarters instead of months this time. And then I'll just track nice, it every nice. month to see how I'm doing towards the quarterly goal. That way, like when the quarter closes, it's like next thing. And we can always move it if I need to. But Yeah, okay. So you laid out some high-level quarterly goals that you're going to try to track through every month. Yeah, and I'm going to track it based on my monthly review that I have. And then I do a weekly review and I do a monthly review. And then the weekly review is how I avoid procrastination if I do it effectively. Yeah, it keeps you kind of on top of things. Yeah, Yeah, because then I can just know, okay, here are the critical things. They're all on my calendar. And then any white space is the time I have to do these things that need to get done this week. Okay. I like that. What about you? You finished out yours? Yeah. Last time we recorded a couple days before I went through the full review process. And yeah, I have. I'm still ironing out some of the plans for the year because a few things are still in flux. But the review is certainly done and my general structure is done for the year. I've tried something that's a little different this time from what I've done before. I'm always, but just like you, trying to tweak and refine the process. But something that I think I will find useful this year is... Okay, so I've told you before that a few years ago, I tried to schedule all of my time, right? From when I woke up to when I went to bed. And that was incredibly rigid and impossible to follow. 
Yep, same here. <laughs> right. Because as soon as you fall behind, you just get frantic and you're like, well, I'm not going to get all my stuff done. And it's just, it's a silly thing to try to plan all of your time. You're like, I'm already screwed. <laughs> exactly. So I haven't done that. But I did something kind of like that, that crosses that with my time tracking. It's already proving to be useful, but I think it will become very useful going forward. And essentially what I've done is I've laid out my ideal calendar. Okay. I set it up to be a two-week calendar because I have this one project that I'm working on that it really is on a two-week schedule instead of on a weekly schedule. And so I kind of have a heavy week and a light week because of that. So I have my ideal schedule for two weeks, right? Mm -hmm. And I have every hour of those two weeks filled up. And the idea is that for this first quarter, that should be what my two weeks look like on a normal week. That's what every day should look like. But I'm not trying to follow that necessarily on a day-to-day -day basis. It's kind of like a rough guide. But what I've done is I've added up all of the hours in each of those days in each category. So just to clarify, we work on this podcast. I work on another podcast with another friend of mine, right? Mm -hmm. So I have written down hours for editing, for preparing the show notes, for publishing, for recording each of those podcasts, right? Mm -hmm. And then I just added them up and I should be spending a certain number of hours every week working on our podcast. And I should spend a certain number of hours every week working on that podcast. And then at the end of the week, when I do my weekly review, I can be like, okay, did I spend that many hours? Did I spend more hours? Did I spend less hours? And I can see if I'm roughly around how much time I should be spending. Mm. And this is also useful even like in terms of my sleep. Like I scheduled out, obviously I, I'm trying to sleep about eight hours a night. And so since I track my time and I track how much time I sleep, I... You I did this for the whole year? No. So it's, it's an ideal two-week segment that mm. I should repeat six times over the course of the quarter, right? Right. That's the idea. That way you can track it. Okay, I got it. Exactly. And so I should be spending seven hours a week studying Spanish. And the reason why I put it into a schedule is so that you can actually see it visually and so that I can have a sense of if I'm on track, even if I look at it on Friday and I'm like, oh, I've only studied three hours of Spanish this week. By Friday, oh, I'm really behind. Mm. Or even if I look at it on a longer scale, if I look at it and I've been doing it for four or five weeks and I find, well, I am never doing enough Spanish. Well, then I need to change something kind of structurally or adjust how my days are going. Because obviously the time that I set aside for it is not actually happening. And I can look at it and say, what things did I not schedule into that that I'm ending up doing? Because again, my whole thought process about planning something is it has to be built to give you feedback after the fact. Mm -hmm. So you want to plan it so that you get yourself to do what you want to do. But then after that, you need to be able to look back and say, did I do what I wanted to do? And is there something I should change to get myself to do that better? So I know that's, that's a little weird. No, actually, I'm quiet over here because I'm thinking through how I could use something like this, the feedback mechanism, particularly for work, but also for everything about life, because hmm. I'm having issues with how do I make the time when I'm not at work and how do I get more effective at work so I can leave at a decent hour and then be able to do these things that I want to do. And... I know I've done, I've tried time tracking before and have never been able to stick with it, but it would be a great thing to get going at work because right now we're kind of guesstimating how much we spend on certain things because we're not a company that clocks in, at least the salaried right. employees. Yeah. So I'm thinking through how can we add something like this that could also help me improve my personal projects? Well, and I would say, again, not that everybody needs time track. I recognize that for a lot of people, that's way overkill. But if there's something that you really do want, like what you're saying with work, 
it's useful even if you only track the time you spend on that thing. Like if you have a given project, like let's say you're preparing for a big event, like you're having a, I don't know, a conference and you're doing all of this prep time that's not in your normal day-to-day job. You want to see, well, how much time did I actually spend doing that to prepare for this thing? And even if you just track that, it's much easier to get yourself just press that button when you start working on that one project than it is to get you to press the button when you start anything that you do throughout the day. So you could just track one thing or just track your time at work or something like that, and it would be useful. I definitely find time tracking to be very useful. And and like, for instance, it, it allows me to look at the shows. Like this is our eighth show, right? Mm-hmm. And I've expected going through the process of podcasting and learning how to do this and learning how all of this works, that I would gradually spend less time on each show up to a certain point. So the first shows that I edited and published and everything took much longer because I had to figure out a whole bunch of things that I didn't know how to do. And it's nice for me to be able to look at it and say, yes, I actually am spending less time editing now than I was back at episode one. And comparing between the two podcasts that I do, which one am I spending more time on? Which one am I spending more time on each episode on? Let's just say I'm spending five hours a week on our podcast and I'm spending 10 hours a week on the other podcast. Well, why would I be doing that? Am I spending more time editing? Am I spending more time publishing? And you can kind of get into the granular stuff and ask yourself these questions. And some of these things you might be able to figure out without having the data, but it's useful for correcting your misconceptions. And for being able to demonstrate to yourself your improvement over time and changes over time. I might have to rethink how I can do a lighter version of it because doing it for everything I think was too rigid for me and that's why I lost it. But yeah, I need to do something to track it a little bit more closely for projects. It can be useful. And, and it's even more useful once we start bringing in real money for any project. Like you're working on your blog. Right. You need data. You need data for everything. Right. If you are spending 20 hours a week working on your blog and you're making $100 a week, well, then you know that you're not making very much money per hour. That's a pretty poor hourly rate. But if you didn't have know how much time you're spending on it, you would have no idea how much money you're making per hour. And so you wouldn't know that it's not sustainable necessarily. Like you could figure it out, obviously. But it's really useful when you're looking at future projects to take on and you're saying, well, right now I make $30 an hour on all the projects I work on, am I going to be able to make that on this future project? Well, if you can't make that, maybe you don't want to take on that project. Unless you want to get into the conversation about growth and all of that, and that could be a different value to put into it. (laughs) Right. I mean, there, there are a lot of things to take into account, but that is a useful thing to know. Yeah, for sure. Because it's useful not to throw away a lot of time thinking, oh, I'm going to get return when you're not going to. Now I'm just hearing, I think it was Pat Flynn's Smart Passive Income podcast, that at the beginning he does the little quote of something. He was like, what gets measured gets managed. And I was like, uh, but also like, <laughs> yeah, it's so true. <laughs> yeah, you know, it is true. It is true. <laughs> so now we're going into copying when learning. So this is a thing that I think is extremely important, especially for creative learning. Because I think if you're learning math... Copying a formula isn't something that anybody thinks is bad. Like everybody uses the quadratic formula in algebra and nobody's like, oh, you copied that formula. Oh, what a terrible person. Mm. But in a creative pursuit, if you copy someone when you're learning something, everybody thinks it's kind of cheap or it's kind of cheating or it's stealing. Well, I mean, 
Yes, but also I've heard so many people talk about when you're at the beginning of something, you take on someone else's style the same way we talked about when we started writing back when NTL was the blog. We started mm. writing in styles and we'd kind of try to copy, I'm doing the air quotes again, of copy people, yeah. but really we were just trying to take on their style to see how we could learn from them and then eventually it would morph into our own. But do you think that that's broadly accepted? Because I think while people do that, the general culture looks down on that and says, that's not creativity. That's not authentic. You're not being yourself. You're not using your own skills. You're like leeching off of somebody else almost. So my personal opinion on this, because that's all I can speak from, is that I don't really agree with... Uh, you shouldn't be copying and yeah, you should try to have your own individual style. But when you're first learning something, you don't know, you have to, you have to kind of piece together resources and you could try to do it all on your own, but then you get into, is that kind of stupid to try to <laughs> do things from your own when there's already resources out there? And I'm not saying right. you should be like plagiarizing anyone, but I'm saying well, but you see, can copy what's already out there. Hold on. You're saying you shouldn't be plagiarizing. <laughs> I think you should be. Okay, well, that gets into the definition of plagiarism as well. Well, because, yeah. because here, here's the thing, right? <laughs> so I'm not talking about necessarily copying somebody else's article and then publishing it as your article, right? Right. Because that's not part of the learning process. That's part of the earning process. And that's what I would define as for real plagiarism. Like just... Right. Right. I would agree with you. That is, that is obviously plagiarism, <laughs> indisputably. <laughs> but what I would say is that if you're trying to learn something, copying somebody exactly is a perfectly reasonable thing to do. For instance, say you're trying to work on your vocal skills and there's a radio host that you think has really good vocals and you want to imitate his intro and you do like an impression of him and you do his exact thing. Practicing that will help you to develop your vocal skills and doing it exactly the way he does it, copying him, is a worthwhile thing. And I think for a lot of different disciplines, a lot of people think that that's kind of like imitating someone, like as a comedian or something like that. People don't, I guess, see that as a bad thing. But if you had like art or if you were trying to copy something in music, people think of that as just it's not a good thing. But like if you're drawing and you copy somebody's picture exactly, you can develop the skills by copying them exactly. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, this person that thinks that is either an exceptionally talented from the get-go, that they don't need to copy anyone, or spending a lot of time coming up with their own style when they could be learning from someone who already has the skills they're looking for and then elevate their game from there. You're completely right. And this is one of the reasons I think a lot of people don't get very far in trying to learn a skill. But most people I know are uncomfortable just copying something else, even in the learning process. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I think... Yeah, no, that's true. But I always think of it as I should absolutely copy this person because it's already out there and it will, it will just make life easier. Right, and I've learned that, but I've not always thought that way. That is definitely a learned thing yeah. for me. Same that I now take for granted, I guess. <laughs> right, and, and like when we've put together the NTL logo or I put together the Subject Radio logo or my other podcasts while we're on the subject, the logo for that, any of those sorts of things. I, at first, was just messing around trying to come up with something on my own. And then I started looking at other people's things and I was like, let me see if I can make it the way they made it. 
And after I did that several times, then I was able to go back to ours and work on it a little more. Now, I didn't actually make the NTL logo, but the other ones that I've made, I've developed my ability to do that by copying people multiple times to figure out how does this work. But I didn't necessarily jump to that right away. And I think this is kind of the key to the whole thing. If you want to learn something that's creative, you should almost always start by copying someone whose work you like. So if you're a composer, find some music that you like, study that music, try to copy it. You know what I mean? Like try to figure out what components of it you can bring in. And then, yeah, as you develop, you can start to branch out. Because really, like when you're talking about playing music, that's what playing music is, right? You're, you are copying, you're reading what was written and playing it exactly. This reminds me of when you're listening to a band and they have their own stuff and then they have the covers and half the audience mm. hates when they play the covers and the other half of the audience loves when they play the covers because it's something they already know and they know sure. whether they played it pretty well to the tune of that band that's already yeah. really famous. It's kind of similar in that if you can replicate it well, in our perspective, you're doing really well and then you can get your voice from there. Absolutely. And, and I think your, your example there highlights a certain perspective on this entire issue which do you value more somebody that wrote a song and performs it badly but they wrote a great song or somebody that performs a song really really well but they can't write anything hmm, yeah as a good example leonard cohen is a great composer he's a great musician but he is not the greatest performer in the world like i don't think his voice is necessarily the greatest voice in the world and his versions of his songs are not my favorite versions of his songs. He's a great <laughs> songwriter, but he just is not going to be able to perform them as well as other people perform them. So while I love Hallelujah and I love Dance Me to the End of Love and I love a lot of his music, it's not his performance that I want to listen to. But most people would accept that him as the composer, him as the writer, would be a creative powerhouse because he can write such good stuff. But it's a real open question for the person who can imitate that effectively. Like when you look at somebody in art, somebody who is a great forger. Well, if you're a great forger, that means you're so good that you can imitate other people's style. Like if you look at Monet, Monet only did stuff that looks like Monet's stuff. He has a very distinct style. Mm -hmm. His stuff all looks like Monet's stuff. If you have somebody that can imitate his stuff and can imitate Rembrandt and can imitate medieval stuff... That's much more impressive to me than somebody that can just create something new. You know what I mean? Like they don't have the versatile skill set in the same way. Yeah, that means they can create their own and they know how to replicate others as well and speak to the style enough that it's passable. You're right. The versatility is a big part of it. Yeah. Anyway, moral of the story is don't be afraid to copy somebody else or learn from other people. It doesn't diminish your creativity. It allows you to develop the skills because the, the creativity is really separate from the skill. As a musician who had to practice scales for hundreds of hours, I know scales take no creativity, but they're essential if you want to express creativity at some point in the future. They are a fundamental part of the skill set. And that applies to anything that is creative, whether you're writing, whether you're drawing, whatever you're doing. Yeah, for sure. The moral of the story is always start copying. Because I'm thinking you had your scales example. And I have, if I think back to my basketball example of the hundreds of hours, they didn't say 
go out and try to shoot whoever you want to shoot. It was like, this is how you do it. Exactly. Pick someone who you really like, try to be like them, and then you'll get better faster. And people miss the fact that even something that's highly creative and highly expressive and highly individual is still made up of fundamental basic components that everyone does the same. Like Mozart used quarter notes, Beethoven used quarter notes, Jay-Z uses quarter notes. They all use quarter notes. You should probably know some quarter notes. Exactly. Like every basketball player runs. That's part of basketball. If you can't run, you can't play basketball. There's no like expressiveness in that. It just is. You can't run effectively, yes. (laughs) What I'm saying is even these highly intricate things that are personal at their base level are made up of core components that everyone does the same. They just combine them in different ways. Like a great writer still uses the and 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 commas and period. Like all of the components are the same. They're just putting them together slightly differently. So it's not the base core components that you need to be expressive at. You need to have all of these base level skills at a high level before you can start to do something valuable and expressive. Right. Yeah. I totally agree. Okay, so that <laughs> that that leads me to man, like transitioning is really hard. Transitioning it's true. to that, and I'm like, hmm. <laughs> let me let me let me segue the hell out of this thing. Okay, so that leads me to our creativity in this show and what we're bringing out in this show as we record the eighth episode of our podcast. Okay, boom, 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 boom. what was that? <laughs> That was pretty good. That was a good segue. That was my air horn that I made up right now. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate it. The fake just air horn. It's, it's, yeah, nice. Nice accolades. It will come out when we, yeah, when we do things that are really well done, I'll bring out the air horn. Perfect. That's exactly what I want. So when we started this show, and a lot of the things that we do in the show are, I would say, inspired by other things that I've seen and listened to and found useful and effective, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think, at least for me, and I think for you as well, we're doing this show because we find each other's ideas valuable and conversations with each other valuable. They help us think, and they help us push forward and develop. And I think for both of us, we think our experiences and our perspectives on a lot of these issues that we think about much more than almost anybody else we know are useful to be shared with people. But the package that you put it in, the way you structure it, those core fundamental skills of like your vocal technique or your recording technique or your editing technique or your segues (laughs) and uh, the way you create intro music and all of that sort of stuff. Those are things that are not core to what we're doing, but are essential to being successful in what we're doing. Yeah. And I've obviously learned a lot over the last while but like i kind of think of our show in 10 episode seasons number 10 is the last one of this season so we've got a couple more after this and then we go into season two and as we start gearing up and preparing going into what i think of as season two i'm thinking about a lot how we direct the show and why people listen to us Mm -hmm. what are people coming to us for yeah, what's the value that we can provide to them? Exactly. They would want to tune in, yeah. Yeah, and so as I think about that, I, again, go back not so much to copying in this way, but think about what media do I consume and why do I consume it? 
what is the usefulness? There are, I think, only a couple reasons that I consume things. Yeah, they're all in different categories. Yeah, and the reasons, broadly speaking, for me, are I either want news, which is relevant information that is relatively timely, or I want entertainment, mm-hmm. or I want education. So I want something that trains me, not necessarily trains me in a narrow sense, in like teaches me how to tie my shoes or something like that, but like something that helps me to think about certain issues or think about certain topics, right? So it trains me, educates me in a broader sense. Right. And those are the three buckets. Do you have anything more? Like, is there some other reason that you consume media? No, I think that for me, those are pretty solid buckets too, because you could get more granular, but those are pretty large in how much they encompass. Yeah, yes, they are. And and so something that I found interesting as I'm thinking about this is that obviously these buckets are not exclusive. A lot of things blend and blur between them. There's a lot of blur for me there too. And especially between the education and the entertainment ones, I find myself debating, right? Like there are a number of books I've read that I found interesting and I found entertaining. And interest is is a funny thing because I sometimes wonder if I'm really interested in something is that more entertainment than education, even if it's really educational? You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know how to categorize that. I think it becomes clearer when I'm talking about audio and shorter things, audio and, and like YouTube and TV and things like that, because there are some shows that I listen to exclusively for information, exclusively for the skills that it provides or the information that it provides, right? Mm-hmm. And if I see an episode that doesn't seem to offer something that I'm particularly interested in, I'm not listening to it. It's done. Now, what that tells me is that that's clearly not an entertainment. I'm not there because I like the people or because I have any interest in what they're saying. On the other hand, there are some that it's hard for me to find exactly what I'm learning from them. I feel like I'm learning. I feel like they're helping me to think about things and they talk about interesting subjects. And yet I listen to every episode even though I can't really put my finger on what I learned from them or why I learned from them. Yeah, I do the same, but I'll sometimes be the opposite on content that is supposed to be very educational. And I just get maybe halfway through and I'm like, no, I'm clearly more on the entertainment side or Hmm. this just isn't, this just isn't cutting it and I'll turn it off and I'll end up going to something that's exactly in that category that you're in where it's educational, but it's more, I think I'm getting entertainment from it, but I just need to be doing something totally separate than purely learning at that moment. Sure, yeah, you need something to boost your focus a little bit. And that that is something to be said. Like, if, if something really is boring, it doesn't matter how useful the information is. It's hard to stay focused on it because it's boring. Or if you're just not in the mood for it at that moment. <laughs> true, true. Yeah, if your energy is low, you don't have the focus or whatever it is. In that moment... You can't cut it. And I've run into that with some books that I read because I read a lot of kind of business books, I guess, or that kind of book. And some of them are just so dry that I really have to be in the right mental state because like essentially the author has some useful ideas, some interesting ideas, but they're just not a good author. Like (laughs) they're just dry. Like they put me, not even they put me to sleep, but they put me to where my eyes can't focus. The same to be said on high level concepts. I mean, this goes back to focus, but also... 
I'm often reading things that are more businessy or like talking about tax codes or something that right. I really find interesting, educational plus like entertaining for me. But there are days where I'm like, taxes are not my thing today. Obviously, <laughs> that's not your thing sure. every day. <laughs> well, and and it, th- those things can be exhausting, right? Like yes, if, exactly. if it's exhausting, you're not going to spend two hours dealing with it because you can't you can't stay focused on it. Absolutely. And right. on your sunny walk to the cafe or something, maybe when you think you're going to educate yourself, you're like, nah, this ain't happening. <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. That's true. That's when I pull up, you know, pardon the interruption, get a little update on sports. But I, I think at a certain level, even if the stuff that we're consuming is dry and educational, largely because we think it's useful, everything is kind of entertainment. There's there's a nugget of entertainment in almost everything. If I have interest in it, then I'm a little bit entertained by it. It's kind of how I think about it after thinking about it for a, a long time. And I also really think we're moving more and more towards that intersection anyways with a lot of the content that is available and sure yeah maybe that's just the evolution of podcasts being such a prominent part of people's media diet or whatever you want to call it and Mm. the same goes for television i feel like now i want more educational content in my television and that's what i consume for entertainment and sometimes i just want the funny but i'm looking a lot of times for the one that has that balance in between. True. Yeah, you definitely see it. I mean, even with the rise of like the Daily Show in the United States and the Colbert Report and things like that, like late night comedy that used to be just completely soft and kind of topical, but not really dealing with the news, not really dealing with anything else, now are very focused on providing you information. Yeah. And you can talk about, you know, the biases there and everything like that, but it's not just entertainment anymore now a lot of people view it kind of as a news source and so you're right i do think that everyone is kind of shifting everything toward the educational news side of things yeah another good example is i think of master of none from aziz ansari and how he is tackling some of the issues that are out there and he's doing it in this comedic television show Mm, and it's totally entertainment you would think but it also has some of the educational aspects to it well and i do think that people more and more are recognizing that educational things in order to maximize their effectiveness need to be interesting and entertaining it doesn't matter how useful something is if no one can get through it and actually read it yeah because then no one reads it. it for instance uh what, what what's the book uh seven habits of highly successful people is that it or yeah of highly effective people i think that's yeah sh- sure yeah like that book is a monster and is <laughs> horrible to read <laughs> i've picked out snippets from it and read through certain chapters but like it is it is terrible to read and there are some very useful and interesting ideas there but if you wrote it 20% the length and 500 times more entertaining, it would be a much better book. And you probably wouldn't have to lose any of the significant content. And I think that that's something people recognize more now and are increasingly recognizing that something can be really entertaining, really engaging, and still provide you interesting, useful information. Like mathematics is not inherently boring. History is not inherently boring. These things are interesting. They're about the world. And 
we just have to think about them and why they're relevant to our lives and how they're interesting. And then we can make things that are more interesting, more entertaining, and more engaging. Right. You just think about them as boring or not as useful to you because you're used to getting them in a very monotone classroom setting. So you don't think about them the same way as you might now that they're evolving and there's different ways to consume them. Right. And like a teacher in school has no real incentive to make something super interesting or put in a lot of time and energy to figure out how do I get these kids to love the subject. There may be an altruistic desire there to get the kids to like math or whatever it is, but they don't get a bonus if the kids are more interested. They don't get a promotion if they're really good at that. There's no incentive there. And I think that that's in large part similar to how television was before this. There was a lot of competition in television, but there was no real incentive to kind of make things more educational because there was not the kind of competition. And when the internet opened up and YouTube especially opened up, you got these incredibly niche type shows and it drew people away from watching things that were just kind of bland nothing, but kind of entertaining and drew them into things that were highly educational and extremely interesting and also entertaining, you know, and it shook that market up. Right. And that talks a lot to giving people more options. You could have just educational, but you could also have highly entertaining. And there's so many that do both now that people just have more options so they can choose on what a show is providing or what a channel is providing. Yeah, absolutely. So when you think about us and you think about what we're doing, why do you want to do the show? Do you want to entertain people? Do you want to talk to me? Do you want to educate people? Like what, what's the driving purpose? When I think about this show, I think if I were talking to myself, if I... If you were talking to yourself? Right, if I was talking to myself, like <laughs> okay. what would I want to consume? And it goes in waves, as it probably does for you too. I follow some and then after a while I get disengaged. And I think about that. Why do I get disengaged from some and why do others hook me? And I think, well, I want to be one of those that people can really resonate with both of our personalities, but also our experiences and how we've found our way and we could help them by hearing what we've done and thinking through the strategies that we've used yeah to let them do something similar and i would agree with that the shows that i end up being most engaged with and stick with are the shows where i can see the hosts thinking and they're talking about why they're doing things why they're engaged in things and how they think about those things and that thinking changes or is different from how I think in an engaging way. Yeah, it makes me go, oh, I didn't consider that. I thought they were going to go in this direction. They just went in this direction. And now I'm thinking through what that means. Exactly. And because of our experiences living and working and going to school in Australia and Korea and China and France and like all over the place, right? I think we have been exposed to a lot of people and we have interesting perspectives to where we can share some of those things if, if we actually do that <laughs> which we will at some point but from any given individual there's so many things to learn but I think we have some very interesting perspectives based on what we've done so far and I want to make it fun for people too like well and it's a fun weird thing for me because it's interesting to think about how much do you want to emphasize what you're thinking about and what you're interested in versus 
your experiences that might be more interesting. And so it, it's a funny interplay. But what I was going to say is where I get very disengaged from people is when they're too dry or when they just blather on. There's a lot of people that I think could really use some editing. Like just they, they talk for a long time about nothing. And it's, I don't know, it's like, get to what you were talking since about. We're, since we're never going to do that, Chad, we're always no. going to be point on. <laughs> well, but it's, it's, not a, it's not about that. It's about like, and, and I find this even in conversations when I just talk to people in person. Some people have a lot more information density than other people. And it's not even necessarily being concise, but some people say a lot of things that don't actually mean anything. Yeah. It's just kind of fillers talk. And then you have people who do the opposite, who say something really short, and you know there's so much more there, but you got to get them to... True, you got to bring it out of them a little bit. That's, that's true, that's true. But it's, it's those filler people that I find frustrating, where I'll be in a conversation, and I'll listen to them for five or six minutes, and I'm like, I know they're getting to something, but like, <laughs> what are they getting to? Like, just say whatever you're saying. It's when you have that really strong urge to finish somebody's sentence where you kind of think you know where they're going and you just, you just want to say it to them. But sometimes I honestly think maybe they're one of those people who wants to be a little bit directed or wants me to throw in a little perspective to see if this is where they're going. But maybe I'm also cutting them off. I don't know. <laughs> well, right. And, and there are some people that I know it's okay to do that with that kind of pause in their thoughts. And when you fill it in, they're like, yeah, that's the word I was thinking of. But generally, I think it's rude. And but when you're listening to someone yeah, on if a you're podcast. listening to a podcast, you're definitely not jumping in and giving them the word, right? So if, if they're just talking and they're not saying anything of substance and they had the opportunity to edit it, just stop. Stop this torture. Like, oh, Maybe they're the still working through their editing skills. but Well, but it's the kind of thing where even if they have some interesting stuff, they have some useful stuff that I'm trying to get to, but they just pack around it all of this useless fat that I find difficult to listen to and it's interesting because there are some shows that i listen to which it seems almost like the entire show is that useless fat but i'm still very happy to listen to all of it because essentially what they're doing in some shows people are kind of musing and they're talking about ideas they're talking about how they think they talk about their process or whatever they're talking about but they're actually saying things as opposed to just putting a whole lot of words in between two different ideas yeah. That's my rant. Well, but that's relevant that those are the types of shows, programs that are disengaging for you after a while. Yeah, yeah. For me, I think when I'm thinking back to the ones that haven't been working for me as much anymore, it's the ones that don't morph themselves. They have a certain set of ideas and I'm hoping that over the course of this podcast you'll hear us go from like we're talking a lot about productivity but you don't come here just to hear about productivity tips. Like we're still doing this on season 10 then we might need to make sure we've really morphed. (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. It has to have some depth. It has to really span and sometimes it does, and it doesn't span in a way that I'm still interested in. That's one way I get disengaged. Or it spans in the same exact way it's been going, which I don't have any growth there for myself. Yeah, it's true. If you're rehashing the same ideas, and it's not necessarily bad to have certain ideas that run throughout the whole thing, like an emphasis on productivity, as you said, or if somebody 
talks about technology and that's one of the things that they talk about throughout all of their shows that's fine but i think when you're talking about a podcast you're talking about long form audio which allows you to get into a lot of depth but i think it's ideally suited to dealing with complex ideas and exploring complex ideas in a conversational way as opposed to giving you dense factual information so like you said, if you're still giving you productivity tips by season 10, right? Like if you're giving productivity tips at all and you're just giving like tips, right? write an article. You know what I mean? If you're having a podcast, what you should be doing is you should be talking about whatever topic you're talking about and then exploring how that relates to other ideas, how that relates to other topics, how that affects life. You should be exploring ideas that surround whatever you're talking about as opposed right. to just saying this, this, this. Right, and honestly, tips was a bad use of that word or but example. People do that. True, but I, I'm talking more about I. The biggest thing for me is usually that they're still going on a certain direction, and either I've changed my thinking around things, or they mm. have changed theirs, and we just no longer are exactly on the same page. And I have many that I'll eventually come back to because. They go off for a minute and I'm no longer there and then I come back and we're on the same page and then I go off or they go off and okay. it's kind of like a relationship that you talk to them sometimes <laughs> and then eventually like you're not on the same page and then you come into each other's life again and I feel like that is some of the podcast hosts that I listen to on and off again. Okay, I think we interface with it very differently because I guess I view it from a almost more purely educational standpoint where what I want is people that think differently from me in an interesting way to challenge me or to talk about something that I've never thought about or to talk about something that I don't know very much about, but they can talk about in a very in-depth way. So if I'm not on the same page with the host, that's great. As long as I don't think they're just an insane person that is just spouting nonsense, then I'm happy that I'm not on the same page as them. Because if you're into it deep enough that you're talking about it on a show all the time then you thought about it at substantial length probably more than i am whatever the topic is and that means that your perspectives on it even if i disagree with them are pretty refined and hopefully pretty interesting yeah okay let me say this in a different way because i didn't say it the right way before okay it's not that i'm not on the same page because i i like hearing from someone who has a very different perspective who I might not agree with, but mm -hmm. often they take their show in a direction that the topics they're talking about or uh, the depth that they're going into on these topics, like, yeah. that's not really for me right now. I might come back to it eventually if I hit that stride where I'm back to interest in that or that lines up with my sure. goals, but I still like the disagreement, but I think I do interface with it differently in the fact that you really like to hear the debate or really think about how you can think about it in more depth and differently. Right. And I'm using it more as, I don't know about these things. I should know about these. Let's listen to someone. Sure. It's more like fundamentally informative as opposed to right. expanding your thinking. Yeah. And I have consumed some things on YouTube, on other platforms through podcasts for that purpose. Like as I've been learning about podcasting and developing my skills in terms of audio recording and editing and everything like that. I have consumed some media like podcasts about those things, but 
I will never consume those things long term. And this is actually an interesting part of this for me, because something that I think a lot of creators do, which is counterproductive, but seems to be supported a lot by a lot of people is niching down, which is this idea that if you're trying to engage people on a broad topic, then you need either fame or high-level credentials or expertise or else everyone will ignore you. So if you're trying to talk about, let's just say, foreign policy, like international politics, no one's going to listen to you unless you've got a PhD or you worked at the Pentagon or something like that. That's the idea. But if you niche down and you talk about politics in Sri Lanka, then people will consume that if they want to know about politics in Sri Lanka. But my thing is, if you're niching down to that level, nobody wants to listen to that. Even somebody interested in the politics of Sri Lanka doesn't want to listen to a show only talk about the politics of Sri Lanka. They want to hear about how that interfaces with other countries and how that interfaces with the world. Like, it's interesting because of the context that it has. You know what I mean? Right. And so people that talk about a very narrow topic, for instance, I forget what their website is, but it's like the Asian Productivity Podcast. Do you know them? Mm-mm. I don't. I don't know. They they have this whole big business built around productivity, right? And I get that that's their thing. They deal with productivity, but they have several hundred shows all talking about productivity, which is obviously going to be recycling a lot of things. But it's also just talk to me about how productivity affects every aspect of your business, and talk to me about how you fit it into your life and how it affects your relationships. You know what I mean? Talk about it in the broader context, and then it becomes interesting. If you're really just narrowing your focus so much to this laser point, then you have maybe 10 or 20 episodes that are interesting, and then you just get really dull. Yeah, and this we could honestly cover a whole episode about, like, where is the sweet spot in niching? Because I do think there's a lot of benefit to having a niche so that you're not too broad, because that also hurts you. But yes, when you're niche to a certain level, you get like 20, 20 things you can do and then kind of out of room. Yeah, I guess I guess that's the cue to, to move on when you say we could talk about <laughs> another episode. But just, just one last thing to leave people with. I think that that varies dramatically based upon the type of media you're producing yeah and with podcasts in particular people seem to say niche down but i think podcasts are actually one of the worst platforms in which to niche down like they say it because it's hard to access an audience they're not hugely discoverable but most people that listen to podcasts listen through it by subscribing and they listen to everything produced by that podcast and if you're doing that that means it has to be interesting enough to keep people listening to hours of content over a long period of time. If you're writing articles, like on a blog, even if it's extremely specific, people are only accessing those articles for the most part by searching for them. And they search for that particular article and they search for something on that very specific topic. Like just earlier today, I was looking for an article about malnourishment in El Salvador in the 1990s, which stunted the growth of a lot of people, right? Like, I'm not going to be looking for a podcast that talks about El Salvador in order to find that information. I'm going to be looking for something written. And Google is good enough at articles, not at podcasts, to show me exactly what I want to find. And if your website happens to have what I want to find, I'm not going to read every article on your page, but I'll find what's relevant. I'm just going to go to what's relevant, yeah. Podcasts aren't like that. You consume everything from a podcast or nothing for the most part. Most people aren't picking and choosing. Yeah, yeah. Pretty what, true. do you think they are? <laughs> 
No, no, I was thinking it through, and that's pretty accurate in how I've consumed it. Yeah, like you really have to get to know the people podcasting and the podcast. You don't really get to know whatever website wrote this one article. Unless you decide you really like them and actually want to enjoy their connection and be able to build some kind of rapport or relationship with the creators. Yeah, True. no, you don't. But but like even if you have that, like it's a much lower percentage of the audience. Right. If you're talking about a blog, it might be 10% of the audience that does that. If you're talking about a podcast, it's 90, 95% of the audience that wants to consume everything. And I think video, something like YouTube, is in the in-between where you'll have people who want to consume everything. You'll have a larger number because it's a more personal medium, but you'll have a whole lot of people that will just consume one thing because it happened to be interesting. And so it's kind of in the in-between for me. But yeah, so that's my last thought on niching. Well, okay, I want to ask you, what is your thought on what we're trying to provide for the show? So the way I think about it is if you're working and you're our age and you're at all interested in figuring things out, you're going to be walking down a winding path and it's hard to navigate that winding path. And I think it's useful to be able to compare notes on what you yourself are learning and the path you're walking down and the options you think you have and the optimal choices you can make to other people's. And so for me, I think somebody listening would want to be able to hear what we're thinking, the way we think about the problems that we face in terms of developing ourselves and in terms of developing and directing our careers. In a global context as well, yes. Right, exactly. Because as you're trying to figure these things out, it's useful to get external input Mm -hmm. and it's useful to be told about things that you've never thought about. And I probably more than most people, obviously, am interested in really breaking things down and breaking down my career and breaking down my working life and figuring out how to make my working life as beneficial to me and those around me as I can. And I think that as I go through that process, sharing that with other people, you in particular, but sharing that with the audience as well is going to be beneficial for me, but it's useful for the audience to be able to listen to somebody really break down something that everyone has to deal with and is not as simple as it once was. So I think of it kind of in the educational perspective to where you want to get inside our minds what we've done and how we're thinking about what we've done. And by getting inside our minds, they also have a certain level of connection. And that's where I think it gets into entertainment because if you like what's in our minds, then you're going to be more invested in us as human beings. And that's the entertainment of just having connection with someone. Yes. And that's why you generate interest with a lot of people if you talk about something that somebody has a strong opinion on. Like if, if somebody in the audience has a really strong opinion on something we're talking about and we offer a perspective that they've never thought about or something that is completely contrary to what they think, if we explain it in a substantial and useful way, you're right, that generates a lot of interest in that person because it challenges their ideas or helps them to think about things more broadly, which is hopefully going to drive interest. Yeah, it's very useful in so many ways. So I think we are on the same page. (laughs) Okay, good. That's exciting. (laughs) Um, All right. You want to wrap this one up then, Jess? Yeah? Sure. Yes. We're good. (laughs) Okay. Sorry if we talked about ourselves a little bit too much in the show, guys. But, uh, you know, hopefully it was was fun for all of us. Okay. So you can find (laughs) our show notes, as always, at subjectradio.com slash ntl slash 008. 
And I just wanted to take a second to ask all of you if you enjoy this show and you think there's anyone else in your life that would also enjoy the show, please share it. Please let them know about it. I don't know, share it on Facebook if you want. Just because the best way that you can help us, if you want to help us and you don't hate us, is to tell someone else about it. And if you're still here, then you don't hate us. <laughs> yeah, one would hope. And we would really appreciate it. Anything else, Jess? No, we would really appreciate the share and we'll see you next week. All right. Bye. Bye. Shut up. Okay. <laughs>